Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I get it. You're pissed, and you want me to feel bad you're angry. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and under no circumstances do you want to see me in a goatee. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of subsystems theory and nonlinear dynamics. Today, we're going to wrap up our coverage of The Expanse, the show that created our show. And after that, we're going to talk about Roland Emmerich, and <laughs> only Roland Emmerich, for a whole month. Well, part of a month, because it's already January. But it is officially emmerich Airy, And it's a seamless transition, Anna, from The Expanse to emmerich Airy, isn't it? Well, I will say, yes. I think... We take both the Urv of Roland Emmerich and The Expanse both to the same degree of seriousness. I mean, you get different things out of them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like we pay the same amount of attention-ish, right? Yeah, I think relatively. Yes, yes. Yeah. We take our fun as seriously as we take, you know, the art right. would be the way to put it. That said, I think we both agree that after we finish up emmerich Airy. We're going to We need to read a book. Some, yeah, we're going to eat some intellectual vegetables yeah. and... um. Dan, the book we've talked about doing is The Ministry of the Future. That book was recommended by Obama. Oh, no. Yeah. So what do you think, Dan? So so as listeners, long-time listeners are aware of why I said that. New listeners might be unaware that the last time we chose a book that Obama recommended, it was The Three-Body Problem, which was interesting, but I think it's safe to say that Anna and I were not super thrilled with that book. <laughs> And we found it problematic, but not in like the fun way that I like to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> like, it wasn't like in a problematic straight white guy way, but it definitely was just, not. Uh, you know, no, right? Yes. It, more like there are just parts of it we didn't like. Right. <laughs> there are parts of it we liked. Including, yeah. I don't think it's actually a three-body problem. <laughs> I think it's a two-body problem. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, you should listen to the episode. I'm not going to say you should necessarily read the book. <laughs> But uh, we have been told by the folks on our Discord mm -hmm. that the Ministry of the Future is worth reading. We do so listen to the folks on the Discord. And the Discord, Dan, we should talk about the Discord. Yeah. Dan, why should anyone become a patron of the show? I think there are many reasons why one should become a patron. The most obvious is their swag. And as I understand it, Anna, mm -hmm. we're going to be ramping up the swag over the next We're going to have weeks. better swag. We're going to have better swag. I think. Better swag. You get early access to the podcast episodes themselves. Once we get to 250 followers, and we have been rapidly... We're so close. We have been rapidly so uh, acquiring close. followers, so this is uh, good. We will do a, a patrons-only episode on a topic chosen by only the patrons. The last time we did this, when we hit 100 patrons, we did 28 Days Later, which prompted uh, some vigorous debate, if memory serves, between <laughs> Anna and myself. I got angry. <laughs> you and did. I feel bad. It's I okay. do. I got, I got triggered. And not in a fun, again, not in a fun way. Um, but like in the old-fashioned, like, I got triggered way. <laughs> but if you want to trigger Anna again, let's get to 250, and then we can pick something else. All right. Uh, let's, but maybe not. Don't. I'm actually gonna just suggest, like, let's not think of that as a goal. That should not like, be a goal. I don't want people no, no. to worry about it necessarily. Yeah. But let's not make it a goal. That's fair. <laughs> I think that's good. Yes. 
And yeah, so you could become a patron. We have different levels of patronage. Um, and if you cannot become a patron or you're already a patron and you want to support us in some other way, it is always helpful if you rate and review the show or just tell your friends and neighbors. If you want to suggest some stuff, well, you can go to the Patreon page. Also, the Discord is a great place to get access to us. Me, mostly. Dan is aloof and distant from the <laughs> Discord for some reason. I'm so shy and retiring, okay? <laughs> So mainly we just talk about him. Mm-hmm. But you also can tweet at us. I am at Anamarie Cox. He is at Dan Dresner. Dan, let's move on. Sure. Why are we doing this? <laughs> like, this actually, for once, might be actually a, a serious question. Like, what? why should we do this wrap-up? What is our thinking? Anna, in the words of Dandy Don Meredith, who used to be one of the commentators for Monday Night Football, turn out the lights. Because otherwise you can't see the ring entities that appeared over the closing credits of the series finale. That is a direct quote from the lyrics on it, by the way, just in case you were wondering. I mean, Don Meredith was singing that in the 70s. It's a tremendously prescient song, but yes. And of course, it's a direct quote from me, because (laughs) when we were talking about the end credits, I was like, oh, I thought that was a smear on my screen. But no, it's an entirely new set of, uh, it's an entirely new image at the the end of the Expanse credits. Yes, that is one one of the reasons we're continuing to talk about The Expanse, even though we've now already seen the last episode and recorded our commentary on it. We just, I mean, it's a show that's near and dear to our hearts. Yeah. And as the credits suggest, maybe it's worth kind of pondering some next steps and some loose threads and thinking about the show and what might happen and how it's impacted And us. as Anna, I believe you said last week when we talked about the finale, there is a sweater of threads that could be loose threads that could be knitted, um, and we're, we're going to talk about some of them in this episode. There is also, to be fair, just a smidgen of new content because we are also going to briefly talk about the bonus scenes that were accompanied season six, the sort of one ship scenes that right. were available uh, on Amazon Prime, and whether or not they actually tied off any of these loose threads. And just because we love delivering content. <laughs> We're going to do the Spacey Awards, which we may do again. Yeah. We could We're do this. A, this could be an annual thing, Anna. It could be an annual thing. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. But this is the first annual Spacey Awards, and they're going to be Expanse-centric. Obviously, mm-hmm. in the future, probably not Expanse-centric unless something, well, something happens. Yes. Why don't we begin, we'll make this somewhat chronological here. Let's begin with what we have left mm-hmm. of the Expanse content, the One Ship Shorts. Dan, you, we divided these up. Why don't you talk about the first three? Sure. Uh, so there were five as near as I could figure out. I, we weren't sure if there was supposed to be a sixth one that dropped with the series finale. but There, there was not. There it, was is, not. it is five. Yes, so yeah. it's five. So the first three. The first one is Ankawala, in which we learn that Michio does not really care about Kamina Drummer's privacy, but also that Kamina cares a lot more <laughs> about Naomi than her current family. And this does, I think, add a little bit of depth to the sort of dynamics on uh, the Tynan between Michio and Joseph and Kamina. And also between Kamina and Naomi, yes. who we discussed in a previous episode, actually to show canon and not book canon that they had a thing at some point. Right, which I, I will say this short does a nice job of, of making it clear, oh, this is why Kamina reacts the way that she does when Naomi comes to yes. see her. So in that sense, I think it, it did add a little something to that sort of uh, plot line. Then we get to the second short, which is called Zenobia, in which we learn that Avasarala's health is an open question and that meditating during a war is super hard. (laughs) 
There's a couple of other things that we will talk about a little bit later when we talk about the loose threads, but, you know, that was a pretty straightforward short. And then finally, the third short is Win or Lose, where we learn that Bobby would beat Amos in a straight-up hand-to-hand combat fight, but that Amos would also fight dirty and win in the end. I actually, this was my favorite short, frankly, just because... It's two characters that the dynamic between the two of them this season has been really good. And we all wanted to see them fight at some point, And we find and this is a perfect way to, to solve this yeah. Superman versus Batman problem. Right? <laughs> like <Yes. laughs> it's of course, Bobby wins if it's a fair fight. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, Amos wins if it's not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that, too. I do have to add um, one last thing. I, might, I did love the way Frankie Adams, who plays Bobby, goes that shh it's okay that the, the way she was yeah. saying that as she first had Zamus in the grip that was just priceless it was well done yeah Anna what about the uh, last two so the fourth bonus scene actually ties into the fourth episode I believe I might be wrong but I think I'm right there is a scene in the episode where Holden hands over the night watch to Clarissa and in this scene, we see what happens on her night watch. Mm-hmm. At first, I uh, admit, kind of boring. I was a little, uh, did not know why we were following her around on the ship. I mean, it's some insight into Clarissa. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a perfectionist about the ship. She's really taken on the mechanic stuff. But then mm-hmm. we learn that her father's stuff is not clarified by her having a new family. She discovers that her father dies and her mods are still intact. And apparently you can set them off by accident. Which she seems to do a lot during this season, actually. Like, you know. <laughs> well, well, not by accident. No, I think true, yeah. I think this one, it seems it seems like literally like she doesn't really intend to do it. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. That's yeah. True. And I will say the fifth bonus scene is my favorite. Uh, remember the can't. <laughs> we learned a few things. Yes. One is we learned Stephen Strait doesn't need makeup to look 10 years younger. I think all they did was shave him. No, that was remarkable. And I think um, I, I, I think the Expanse writer's Twitter feed confirmed that, or, or James, I think, I, one of them confirmed that they shot that after they shot everything else because all he had to do was shave. And yeah. it is remarkable. <laughs> he does look a decade younger just by doing that. It, it props to Stephen Strait for self-care on that one. And we also learned that the hiring process for a straight white man has been changed <laughs> They just get offered jobs and then beg to take them. So to to explain this, so I, I had two reactions to this short because it-, it, it pro- It's amusing. It's totally amusing. Well, it provoked a couple of questions. As you pointed out, right. and as my reaction was too, there is a very brief Anna Hopkins cameo in this short, because again, it's not that right. long, playing Monica, who- sees Holden in current time in series and gives him a hug. And I kept wondering, did that happen before or after Holden gave her the brush off in terms of the interview? Because that was a little weird. I mean, it has to have happened afterwards. So yeah. I'm not really sure when this scene takes place. But I'm willing to, like, I liked it. Yeah. I, I it might appreciated have been, I like, the hug. So. Yeah. It, I, I assume it happened after the battle with Marco yeah. and everything, and then then he heads out. There is also a cameo from the actor, and I apologize to the actor for forgetting his name. I think it's Joe something that played the original captain of the Canterbury yes. in the pilot episode. Uh, that actor is now actually in Station Eleven. Oh, yeah, yeah, he plays one of the theater troupe in in that show. But he sees Holden at the bar. He he's a complete, <laughs> you know, just totally lost in series. He sees Holden. 
who seems to be getting along with everyone and decides he wants to hire him. And yeah, that yep. that that's why I was laughing at Anna's line because yes, that was a He just walks up to the straight white guy, yep. non-belter, earther. That's another level of privilege, right. right? Yeah. Like he walks up to the earther straight white guy and is like, "Do you want a job?" <laughs> Which like is that what it's like, Dan? <laughs> Uh, it's true. It, yeah, you know, I've been offered many, many jobs just by. I'll just walk down the street. It's like you remember John Hamm and Thirty Rock. Anna, it's yeah. a little like that. The bubble episode. The bubble episodes. Yes, episodes. exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. you know, and and I'm not nowhere near as good looking as John Hamm as as no human on this planet is. But yes, for white men, it's just like you get to live in that bubble. It's really nice. I am friendly with Glenton Richards, who wrote these episodes, co-wrote these episodes. Oh. He has been nominated for a Writers Guild Award for them, oh, by the good. way. And he's a fellow UT football fan. He actually <laughs> went there, unlike me. But that's how we got to be friendly. <laughs> Not The Expanse, actually, but somehow TCU. I just thought you befriended him, Monica, because he, he was a white guy. I mean, that would, you know, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, uh, Dan. Yeah. He's not a white guy. Oh, whoops. Crap. <laughs> I assumed. Oh, no. I totally assumed. Yeah. I, and you know what? I, If it's okay with you, we should leave that in. We should leave that because, in. Yeah. I do apologize. Is it Glenn Richards? Yeah, Glenn, Glenton Richards. Glenton. Which... Glenton, I apologize profusely for assuming that was uh, my mistake. But I think that's an interesting thing to happen because it points out that most science fiction writing, especially on TV, is incredibly white. Ah, yeah. And The Expanse, we're going to talk about this more, but The Expanse has done an incredible job in expanding Mm -hmm. the universe of people who don't just play characters, but also participate in the making of the show. It's it's a very diverse writing room, and I hate to say especially for sci-fi, but it's a very diverse writing room, especially for sci-fi. But anyway, so I direct messaged (laughs) Glenn and was like, I loved all those. The fifth one was great. Do you want to hear a snarky reply? <laughs> <laughs> and what did he say? He laughed. <laughs> you know, well, I, he DM'd me LOL crying laughing emoji, ah, which okay. I think means he took it well. Yes. And he said yes. You know, like mm-hmm. that is that's a good point. Like, and, but of course, it is also the way that things had to happen. That is like Holden needed to be on the ship for plot reasons. And also the reason he does this, the reason why he gets hired really there is a qualification involved, which is that he can code switch. Yeah. You know? Yes. And they need someone, the, the captain needs somebody who can be an intermediary between the belters and the crew of the ship or him personally, whatever it is. And by the way, this is so. consistent with what is actually said in the pilot, because in the pilot episode, he's potentially going to be promoted to XO. And the captain tells him, you're good with people. You know, it's a, it's a similar sort of thing. So it's actually, again, plot consistent, which, you know, is not always easy to pull off. But again, props to uh, The Expanse. Do you want to talk a little bit about the one ship rubric that introduces each scene and is the sort of overarching story? Um... No. No? Okay, then let's... I, right. I have to admit, I found that forced. I, I apologize. Okay. You know, it was... The only thing that I was a little bummed by is I kind of wanted to know if they were going to have a Pella episode. Oh. Because they were doing yeah. one ship and it was, you know, the Rossi, which makes sense, and the Zenobia, which makes sense. And I guess the Canterbury in the end and the Tynan. But it was like, okay, if you're really going to go there, I'm kind of curious if there's something on the Pella. Like, it would have been interesting to have, like, a couple of free Navy grunts that, thinking about, or, you know. I think that's a really good point. And I think that marks the first time we're going to say something we might say a lot in this episode, which is, I wish they would have done more with yeah. <laughs> XYZ. I think we need to state at the outset, is my understanding is that Amazon 
set the six order episode, you know, set the the order at six episodes. So let me put it this way. I think we, we're going to complain a lot about the show, I think, from yeah. here on in, or at least for the next portion of this episode. We're not going to complain about, I mean, actually, this is a good place to clarify this. Yeah. The show itself, as it exists, loving, like, mm. love it. Chef's kiss. Stuck the landing. Yeah everything what people are gonna complain about <laughs> people is, not us is, but other people yeah, you know yeah other people people that we know is a lot of wanting more which yeah. is what you want right yes but it, it is unsatisfying right so and my only point here is that i it because this episode order was less than the previous seasons I think that's part of the reason why we all want. Yeah, it. sure. Yeah. Like we, we can blame Amazon. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I'm all for blaming Amazon on this. I thought you would appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, Jeff Bezos like is a monster <laughs> for for other reasons, but throw this one on, sure. Like, <laughs> but speaking of what's unsatisfying, we are going to try to knit up that sweater of loose threads. Yes. Uh, you had several that you wanted to talk about, Dan. So why don't you go first? Okay, so my first loose thread is what happened on Mars. And this is a complaint that I have lodged uh, repeatedly over the season. The evolution of Martian society was a crucial part of the show for really the first five seasons. And it's a really interesting society. It's a, you know, it was a collection of immigrants from particular parts of Earth. They had this sort of shared social purpose to turn, put blue sky on Mars, as it were. And opening up the ring gates had some genuinely deleterious effects on that society. And or I think catastrophic. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I mean, like serious uh, undermining of their whole notion of themselves. Right. And I actually think the show handled that incredibly well with both what Bobby goes through in season four and then Bobby and Alex in season five. Ever since Marco's attack, however, on the Earth, and I think it was referenced very quickly, the MCRN parliament, which always struck me as like a total red herring, as well as Sovater's treason, nothing, there was nothing on Martial inter- internal politics. We, we like saw, I think, the Martian leader for maybe 10 seconds. You know, it was just talked about as the joint fleet fighting uh, Marco. I just kind of wanted to know what was going on there. And I will say here, this is actually a thread that I did think at least got partially addressed in the short, because in the shorts, because in the Zenobia short, there is one pivotal clue, which is that an MCRN admiral expresses deep anger and disgust, um, I think, that Martian equipment was used to arm Marco and the Free Navy. And I actually think that explains a lot. And I think the parallel to be used would be Ukraine pre and post 2014, which is after the revolution of the Maidan, you know, Ukraine's pro-Russian leader Yanukovych was ousted. You suddenly see a much more pro-Western Ukraine. But Ukraine had always been a society that had been split between the West and the East, which was much more closely held to Russia. Putin responded uh, by basically prying away the Crimea and then also intervening in the Donbass and getting... Donetsk and Luhansk. This actually, and we're just going to put uh, some time codes on the in the description so people can fast forward over that. Or they like the IR stuff, okay, Anna? <laughs> all right, I don't want to hear any of this. All right, you like being yeah, triggered. You yeah. like you like being triggered in some ways. I like being triggered to talk about IR. I'm not going to apologize okay. for this. Uh, and that is genuinely interesting, and that is actually the value out of our show. But the point so. the, the point here is that by prying away those portions of Ukraine, one of the paradoxical effects for Putin was that he made Ukraine even more pro-Western because yes. he essentially he got rid of the portions that would have 
acted as a drag on Ukraine moving more or, or orienting itself more toward Europe, more towards the West, as it were. And I think that's what happened with, with Sovietair and Mars, which is essentially the people that really wanted to leave left. And as a result, what's left on Mars are actually people that think, okay, we're fine with the peace treaty with Earth. We don't like the fact that there was a uh, genocidal attack. We're fine with fighting Marco. And if I might offer my own amateur IR insight (laughs) here, would it also not create an enemy that is not Earth? That's correct. Right? Yeah. 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 Although presumably, I mean, Mars, I assume, had never... This is sort of canon in the no, show. No, they were but... training to attack Earth. Right, I mean, that's Mars true. was like... Right. But Mars saw Earth as an enemy. Mars saw so Earth... By... I think the way I would put it is that Mars saw Earth as the enemy. But Mars, yeah. I assume, disrespect... Mars disrespected the belt just as much as Earth did. Right, but it gave them the traitor Martians yes. to, to yes. think of as the enemy. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Which are to become Laconia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it introduces a different big bad. That's correct. Yes, I think that's safe to say. So that that is uniting in a different way. The point is, of all the threads we're going to talk about, I actually think this one was solved by that short a little bit. It provided some clarity to me as to why Mars was behaving the way it was. I just want to point out that one thing that the the Martian admiral says also is he refers to a drawing and quartering, I believe. Keel hauling, like, wasn't it? Was it, it was some naval term of like? It is yeah. a naval term, but I believe it's a physical drawing and quartering. Tor- yeah, Ooh, okay. I, I, I believe it's a torture of some kind. Uh. I think like. You know, so Martians are still pretty gung ho. <laughs> Martians are still pretty martial, you could almost say. <laughs> so the next loose thread is something that we talked about a little bit in previous episodes as well, because there's a scene uh, in four, I want to say. At the end of four, uh, where, the very end of four. At the I end think. of four, yeah. where Marco is drooling over some Laconian designed ships. Mm-hmm. And later we learn that's a big psych. Uh, from Duarte. He's not going to get the ships. Dan, you found this unsatisfying, correct? I did. And maybe this is because I was misreading what happened at the end of episode four. But it seemed to me that that was being that that Marco was talking to a Confederate in the Free Navy who was seeing the ships. And the impression I got was that the ships had been ordered, that those ships were on the way and that Marco already controlled them. At least let me put this way. It was that was the inference I drew from the way that episode closed out. I understand Marco being double-crossed by Duarte. That totally made sense to me. I just assumed he had a little more in hand. At least that was the way right. I inferred episode four. Was it- I will say I think the double-cross cr- is actually a really good yeah. like plot twist. Yes. Because you know, it's playing Marco to make—it's getting rid of Marco as an enemy. Like, Laconia probably sees, oh, he's going to overplay his hand, and then will have less one enemy to deal with. Right. This was a case where, like, if you're, if you're Laconia—and again, I haven't read the books, but—, but Treating Laconia from what I understood, yeah, you want to just step back and let all the the old solar system folks knock each other out, and that makes it easier yep. for you, presumably, to do things like seize control of the rings. Yeah, so if you can sufficiently weaken one side, mm-hmm. you know why why not? Yeah, it's the side that you were dealing with. Whatever you don't want to weaken. No, like, the key thing is you don't, you yeah you want to weaken the side that might be. It's it's a it's an offshore balancing strategy basically, which is to say that you don't want any one authority to exercise hegemony there you want them all fighting each other because if they all fight each other they're not fighting you and you're getting stronger as everyone else is getting weaker right this leads to loose thread number three which is does earth survive on when we talked about that plot development in season five and i guess a little bit in season six i think you implied that in the books earth is pretty much doomed after marco's uh, asteroid strikes 
In the show, Prax sends Amos some agrotech that is relayed to Avicerala, suggesting that maybe Earth isn't done for yet. The shorts provide no help here. <laughs> but I was curious, like, whether this played out consistent with the books or at odds with the books. I mean, the impression I got from the show at the end of season six, it's left ambiguous, but I'm assuming Earth is going to be around for a while. Yes. I, I think... I was trying to not spoil things, and by not spoiling things, maybe I erred too much (laughs) (laughs) in the opposite direction. Fair enough. Uh, But what I wanted to underscore, I think, especially when I talked about one of the things I love about the Expanse books is that they did almost destroy Earth, Mm -hmm. that it is a possibility. Right. you know, a lot of science fiction, Earth is the is the thing that you protect, Mm -hmm. right? It's all the threat to the Earth, but then the happy ending is always Earth was saved. We saved the planet. That's you've just literally um, described twenty five MCU films. Right, exactly. Yeah. Earth is saved. Yeah. Like that's the plot of all of like ninety nine percent of like especially probably like, you know, Cold War science fiction. Ninety nine point nine percent. And what I love about the expanse is that they made it totally on the table that Earth is just gone. Right? Mm-hmm. Like as a habitable place. Right. And that you finish reading about this attack, and it is unclear whether or not Earth is going to survive. It's a genuine question, right? Yeah, and 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 it, I, I like you. I was let me put it this way. It, you know, once you realize what Marco's plan was, I, as a non-reader of the books, kept thinking they're going to stop him, right? Like that, yeah, you know, like yeah. you know, I. That's what that's what our culture has trained us to. Exactly. Do. Yes, and like I was like, no, there's no way they're. Oh, they are. Oh, wow. And then the other thing that I think legit surprised me was I thought that even if one struck, it was going to be like a deep impact plot where like, yeah, one hits, but they'll stop all the rest of them. But no, they just pummeled the shit out of Earth. Um, and I was that consistent with the novels, by the way. Was it just yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes? And that's what I wanted to to get across, which okay. is this: this is he. Marco also is important for Marco's character, right. right? That we understand he isn't just a kind of a monster. He's like a fucking like history conquering, historic bad guy. Yeah, just. No, this is the equivalent (laughs) on a level that that is we literally cannot even imagine right now. Yeah. (laughs) No, this would be like the the parallel, I would say, is that this would be like Truman not only dropping the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but on every major populace in Japan, you know. Yeah. Times literally like a thousand. Yeah, I mean, it, it is this level of monstrosity that is hard to comprehend. I think for humans, like literally hard to comprehend. And I, yeah. I, I want to tip my cap to the expanse later also and put, you know, really maybe dig in on it, but I just really respect the show for, and the books for going, for going there. Yeah, exactly. No, there was, it was a, in some ways that was the way, there's not a lot that this, this show shares with don't look up, but this is the one <laughs> thing that it does share is that they actually, they follow through. Yeah. And that right. was well done. So, our next loose thread uh, is something that has come up a lot uh, because I'm such a Laconia arc stan, <laughs> which is, so what's the deal with Duarte? Yeah. And my question for you, Dan, is do you want to know? <laughs> Here's the way I will put this. And in some ways, all I will ask is the following. When Duarte says in the last episode, I have gods to destroy... Is he talking about literal gods in the sense of like the ring entities or something like that? Or is he talking about other humans? That was the one thing that I wanted to know. And that you can't even answer that without tipping. It is not specifically other humans. 
Okay. How about that? That's fair enough. Good to know. It's a very I I, I that line is is both about destroying something but also about destroying ideas he's wow he's got a new way of looking at the world let's say I, let me put it this way there, there is one other thing i will ask you which is and we're going to get to this when we talk about the awards do you think duarte rivals marco as a villain in the last three books oh not oh in the last three books yeah yeah oh wow because i'm assuming marco he, is dead at this point in the like the, yeah, in the last yeah, three yeah. yeah he is so different from marco in one specific way which is that he is not just superficially charismatic mm -hmm. but utterly charming hmm, like, interesting very likable and on a you would want to talk to him you know kind of way like if you met him you would be like oh what a what a smart interesting person hmm. you know interesting he is he also one of history's monsters <laughs> you know like there's some pretty bad stuff but it's it's and he's believable in that way mm -hmm. and i also think i think this is i haven't talked to any of the showrunners about this but i think in some ways that's a more accurate depiction of certain kinds of history's monsters right yes in the sense that like they're yeah. not actively unpleasant on a day-to-day -day basis no like it's... some presidents we could name yeah but <laughs> you know that's interesting like okay. we made parallels between marco and trump yeah and yeah. i think those, those are those are i think they're intended mm -hmm. to some degree and and definitely valid duarte is more like um like an evil obama Ooh. Okay. Or for conservatives, like, just Obama. But yeah, no, I take your, <laughs> right. I yes. take your point. Yes. No, no, no. That's uh, that's interesting. Okay. I can't think of a, of a history. I'm I, you're the IR person, so I can't think of the right historical figure that would be someone that was both very charming but also did horrible things. The only person some, that, some Roman emperors, maybe. I hate to say this, Stalin. My understanding is that is that Stalin actually was. Uncle Joe. Yeah, uh, right? But like, I, you know, it, that's a tricky, I don't know if I want to go there. So it, let, let, let me put it this way. I, I, I am hope, you know, we've both expressed hopes that the expanse in terms of film content continues at some point. It'll be interesting to see if the, uh, how that plays out with Duarte. I think actually the ease, not the easier, but the more plentiful um, arena of parallels for Duarte mm -hmm. is not actually politics, but corporations <laughs> so duarte is the I, mark zuckerberg I, 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 is what you're saying or the you know the oh but mark zuckerberg is not like no that's true that's true <laughs> so, um i i'm trying to think of like somebody duarte is the cheryl like, sandberg uh, tim cook oh fair enough okay yeah someone who has people skills you know and, and can charm people steve jobs might also be a, a good yeah, example yeah. like he's even more charming right supposedly the reality distortion field that surrounded him mm -hmm. yeah i think that the, the place you could look and find ready examples for someone like Duarte would be tech CEOs. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, let's get to loose thread number five, which is a more amusing one. Anna, does, does Monica win a space Pulitzer or a space Peabody for her reporting? So Monica performed a lot of different reporting duties over the life of the show. I assume her documentary winds up with recognition in the form of a space Peabody since it's in-depth. 
just sort of curious about your thoughts on this. Yes, for for those that are are not aware of the incredibly inside baseball, that's the distinction between a Peabody <laughs> and a Pulitzer. <laughs> One is Pulitzer is older. It's fuddy-duddy. It's um, it tends to reward like kind of in, I, capital I important stuff. Mm-hmm. I would say, right? Yeah. And the Peabody is an award that tends to look at cultural revelations right. as well as just sort of really good history, like something that's just a really good book of history can win a Pulitzer, mm-hmm. right? Just like a really well done researched book. Yeah. The Peabody is more like this changed the way we think about things. Right. Or at Um, least trying to signal that. But yes, yes. Right. So like this American life won a Peabody. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's the kind of thing that wins a Peabody. And I think I think Monica also the Peabody is kind of hipper, I would say. Like, Since I will win know, neither, I will take your word for it. But, uh, but I'm yeah. not going to win either either. But I, I think it's definitely a space Peabody. I like. To I think, think you've got a Pulitzer in you, a... by the way. Just let's oh, be clear about that. You. Oh, the fuddy duddy one. I have the fuddy duddy one in me. Well, the o- the only reason I say <laughs> that is is that I know some of the projects that are on your horizon, and those don't win Peabodies; those win Pulitzers. Yes, I believe also I might also be doing a great disservice by not mentioning that the Peabody is broadcast as well as like, right. written and stuff, yeah. and the Pulitzer does not award broadcast. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's yeah. a good point. <laughs> So, so Peabody, okay. Anna Hopkins, if you're listening, you deserve. Here, I am presenting to you the, dun, 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 the space Peabody. <laughs> here you go. Congratulations. We should also, as we're closing out primarily Expanse content, uh, a big thank you to Anna Hopkins, who played Monica on the show and has actually been a big booster of the podcast and just a lovely presence, you know, in our lives uh, for the last uh, couple of years. Thank you, Anna, for listening. And, you know, we wish you uh, only the best in your future endeavors, which I believe include Slater Kenny. Is that correct? Yeah, Slater Kenny. I got that wrong, didn't I? I wish it was Slater Kenny. No. That would be awesome, but it's Letter Kenny. Letter Kenny. Okay, sorry. <laughs> God damn it. Like, I don't know if you play an instrument, Anna, but... <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've confused those two before for precisely that reason. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. And also, I've I've told her, hit me up for tacos anytime you're in Austin. Oh, yes. I would say the same to Keon Alexander, but I'm a little scared of him. So... <laughs> <laughs> Although, no, seriously, Keon, if you're listening, I will take you out for tacos as well. So... It's a standing taco <laughs> offer for everyone. Yes. Standing taco offer for any Expanse cast member, really. There you go. Yeah. Like, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I don't know what do you get in Boston. Chowder, obviously, Man. but uh, yeah. right. or lobster sure rolls. I, lobster rolls would be good. Yeah, yeah. I assume that lobster rolls on you is also an open. That is correct. I will offer yes. lobster rolls. Right. So let's close out our loose threads section here, mm-hmm. Dan. I need to clean my screen. That <laughs> we determined earlier. It's just a lot of fingerprints and dog nose prints too. Aww. But you spotted it first. Do you want to talk about uh, those closing credits? Yeah, just so again, I, I think I noted this last week, but um, the normal closing credits scene, the, the Expanse does not do after credit scenes. Which, you know what? Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I actually really appreciate that. I am starting to get annoyed by the gimmick of like, okay, now I have to wait 10 minutes. Like... Yeah. Just show me. We all know what's going to happen. Show me. Right. So, go ahead. But over the, I think, and but the Expanse credits have changed over the years because with the ring, they added a, this thing where you see a ring expanding and so on and so forth. And I will confess, I was watching the credits as the episode ended, mostly because I didn't want anything to end and I was curious if there was anything more. And I did notice that the final credits change a little bit this time. And I made sure to check 
the previous episode to see if they were different, and they were, which is as the ring grows, you know, normally it then cuts to normal credits. Um, in this case, what was happening was the ring is expanding, and then suddenly you see those nasty ring entities who took out Marco and his crew suddenly start to appear, and the music becomes more ominous, I think. And then, then it goes to the normal credits. But it, it's an interesting... The Expanse, the show, ended on a slightly hopeful note. You know, it ends with mm-hmm. Naomi's great last speech. It's a lovely, as you pointed out, it's, it's a lovely speech. And then you see the ship sort of drift away into The Expanse. But this has a slightly darker overtone, um, which, I don't know, maybe suggests that there's unfinished business. I don't know. The one thing I will say about this, Anna, is that one of the things I I loved about The Expanse is that it's primarily about the ways in which humans deal with each other and don't trust each other and the ways in which human technology might change but humans don't the proto molecule which starts off everything in season one is just sort of the macguffin and you know it's how people react to that the ring entities i'm not sure what to do with like that's an actual other actor and it, it it's a little weird and like holden keeps talking about how they actually have intelligence which is fine but like we don't really know that in much more about it and it was it was always it's sort of a hand wavy thing and i'm not sure how i feel about it I think that The Expanse is at its best when it is doing what you're talking about. Right. When it is actually about humans mm-hmm. and not about space and not about aliens and not about technology. Yeah. Uh, and those things become just the ways into a discussion about humans. I, I've, to my mind, what The Expanse is about is about how systems and circumstances change people. Right. And that, you know, you can be a good person or a bad person, depending on those things. You can make good choices or bad choices, depending on those things. The Expanse doesn't have, like, kind of the prestige TV kind of anti-hero in that there's someone who does really good things and really bad things. Yeah. But it does play with the idea of, as I've, you know, I talked about the last episode, how do you know what side you're on, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, what do? You, how do you determine? Am I on the good side here? Am I? Am I on the side of history? And when you have an entity like the Ring entities, you take away, like, I mean, I guess spoiler alert: you never get like the a character that's a Ring entity, right? Right? Yeah. So there's never this chance to explore or communicate or. Or yeah, communicate, yeah. or see what their motivations are, and I, and I confess that part complicate it, complicate the relationship. Part of the other reason I think I was annoyed by this is that one of the other plot lines through season six was the idea that while everyone's focused on the war, Holden is the one who's focused on the idea that the ring entities are a real problem, and we need to pay attention to it. And I suppose again, credit to Holden, he always looks far to the future in that sense. But I just it was annoying, you know, that I would have yeah. I would have preferred a more obvious reason like among other things if you have more ships disappear maybe that would be a clue to everyone about what's going on in other words why is it that holden is the only one who figures out that sovater's ship disappears it was it was an annoying little thing yeah the the books handle this much more elegantly and my uh guess is that this is one of the big clues that we're going to get more expanse content because if it was, ju- if you were just going to use the ring entities as a way to get rid of Marco, which, by the way, would be a cool like trap, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, it, you could set it up pr- fairly elegantly, just as, hey, look at this weird thing, right? right? 
Like, hey, this is like it's just like, hey, look at this cave underground. If we put leaves over it, the enemy's going to fall in. Right, it's Chekhov's yeah. ring entities. Like, yeah, yeah, Chekhov's <laughs> ring entities. I believe I said, and they don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> they have hold to make a big deal about it. So it, it's unsatisfying, except in the sense that we may be satisfied eventually, right? One can hope. So yes, but it, it, it is also, the ultimate loose thread in that sense. Yeah. And actually, in the books, threads are one of the words they use to describe how those entities attack. So Ooh, okay. Very appropriate. Ah. They were ending our discussion of loose threads with discussion of the entities. Now, Dan. It's time for the Spacies. <laughs> the Spacey Awards. I don't know why you're laughing. I, it was the enthusiasm oh. in your voice, Anna. I, it was, okay. I, was, I was delighted by that. All right. Well, we're going to start off with what is uh, probably the most important one, right? Yeah. It's the Best Hero Award. Dan, uh, we differ on this. Do you want to present your space? We do. My space, he goes to Bobby uh, as Best Hero, which is uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, I don't care what the short suggested. She would have kicked Amos's ass. You know, Even if he fights dirty. You think if it went on longer? I think if it went on longer, she would still win. I think I think Bobby entirely has the, the capacity to fight dirty and win, is my point. Like, I think it was a, it was, it was a good move by Amos. Like, but, but, like, if they were to fight again, she would win. That's my point. Okay. She is the one who, throughout this season, and indeed throughout the series, I think, both evolved and also more and more saw the bigger picture. And indeed, she's the one in the Why We Fight episode, I think episode five, that sort of explain. Amos is the one who's like beginning to doubt what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it is Bobby that that sort of explains to Amos, this is why we have to do it. She also saves the day in the ring battle. You know, she it is her heroism that, that finally takes out the ring guns, the rail guns. And you know what? She was right to want to kill Marco. And I really wish... Holden and just let her do that. I mean, that's, I, I'm really so fucking annoyed by that. But she takes serious risks throughout this series. I mean, at one point she defects to Earth. When she realizes what's going on in Mars, she then goes back to Avasarala. She is a hero and she is a good person. She is an honorable person. And so I, I mm-hmm. admire her in that sense. And props to Frankie Adams for playing her so well. Yes. Anna, what about you, though? I, I like I'm going to be shocked on this one. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, well, it's it's yeah, yeah. I think it's funny that this is the dyad mm-hmm. that we chose, and Holden is not being mentioned. <laughs> like, in some ways, they are opposites of each other, mm-hmm. right? I chose him primarily because I think he has the most interesting and satisfying hero's journey, right? Mm-hmm. Like he goes from being a person who knows he's not a good person right. to a, a good person. I, I think you're right about that. And it is interesting how, you know, again, he one of the nice things that we t- uh, in the last episode is a sort of reminder by Naomi that Amos started off basically being following and doing whatever Naomi wanted because he she was his conscience. she was his yeah. conscience. And then watching Clarissa deal with Amos the same way that Amos dealt with Naomi is fascinating. And and, and you're right. right. Let me put it this way. I think Bobby is the best hero in my mind, but I will grant you that Amos is the most unique hero. Yeah. That it, it's, it's a unique character, one that I haven't really seen that much in sci-fi. And so in that sense, and, and really this is like, it's so it's the Sophie's choice of the expanse. So like, I love both of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, n- neither of them have to That's die. That's true, which is thankfully. But uh, I also will say my other... Uh, not a strong argument, but I think still a really good argument is that he, while he doesn't have like the save 
humankind moment pretty much or save the soul system that that bobby has at the ring gates getting clarissa off earth is probably the hardest thing that any one person in the expanse does yeah that's fair just getting out of that prison like it, was was <laughs> just getting out of that prison getting her to the you yeah. know i mean she has ideas too along the way she helps for right. sure but that is mainly like he takes that job on and he succeeds and i don't know if any other character could have done it that's so fair. Neither of us are surprised at each other's choices, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they're different. This is one we are, are not going to disagree about. No. So best villain, Anna? Marco and Ars. Yes. <laughs> I know. It's a unanimous decision. Yeah. All, all vote. Counted all votes. Not a single one. <laughs> no, it's, it's a unanimous choice. And again, I, I, we've said this before, but props to Keon Alexander. Really, again, a remarkable performance. Just the the insecurities and the charisma on display that he you know that he does and the pretty pretty hair let's be honest yeah oh just yeah and i i didn't ever come around on the man bun but i was eventually convinced that that was because of zero g right. but anna i i do want to say that marco is is clearly the unanimous choice he's a he's a great villain but you know what the expanse had really good villains Mm-hmm. And at least one I want to uh, give a particular shout out to, Burn Gorman, the actor played Murtry in season four. Yes. Now that you mentioned Murtry, yeah. I feel bad for forgetting him because we actually spent a lot of time talking about how great that, that character yes. was. Yes, and all the, all the scenes between Burn Gorman and Wes Chatham in that season were amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought he was really just, he was a he was an interesting villain and a very different one from Marco. Um, so that was well done. And also, I will give a slight shout out. And again, a slight shout slight out. Shout out. A, a quieter a one. A quieter shout out. Like, I'm going to whisper, you're going to whisper yeah. it. So, um, I don't, th- th- this character's <laughs> name I don't remember, but it was the scientist that Amos kills in season three yes. when Prax is going to do it because the scientist has been injecting proto molecule into children, um, which is just horrific on so many levels. And Amos says, You're not that guy and gets cracks out of there and then he looks at them and says i am that guy it was it's a great fucking scene (laughs) and that's of course where ty and that guy the title of their official podcast comes from. that's fair enough yeah our next spacey Mm -hmm. another unanimous choice the best dressed dan who does the space it's avasarala it's like it's yes yes, i mean come on that's just like we bow we bow down so good oh so and I, good. Necklaces alone. If we had a we had a spacey just for jewelry, <laughs> it would go to her. I mean, really incredible throughout. I mean, all six seasons, yeah. amazing. Especially though, as you've pointed out, this last right. Season. I mean, it was it was like again, even in that last scene she has with Holden. All I'm thinking is, my God, that outfit is spectacular. And again, props to both. <laughs> Shora Agdashlu and the costume designer of The Expanse, who I'm sorry, I haven't checked the name, but they both did extremely good work there. And, uh, you know, in a show where a lot of people are just wearing space utilities, I was glad that there was that flair. It was a nice counterpoint um, and really worth appreciating. And like, seriously, watch some of the outfits. There, there has to be a supercut of all the great outfits she wore. It's really quite spectacular. What's interesting to me <laughs> is that they're spectacular, but never impractical. Right. Like, sometimes you, to get a spectacular outfit, this is true of just what have women have been forced to wear through the centuries. <laughs> like, it's, you know, like high heels. Like, there is no point to high heels besides keeping you from running very fast. She doesn't wear high heels, I don't think. And she has, like, loose clothes, and they're not loose. When she's in zero-G, she wears tighter clothes. It all, it, it's, it's yeah. awesome. 
Let me put it this way. Yeah, no, when she's learning how to wear the boots, like that, that was a simple outfit. And I was like, damn, that was, it was, yeah. she pulls off everything with a plum. So again, yep. props to her. Yep. Also one of the best scenes in the whole series is yeah. that scene. Um, yeah. So <laughs> our next two awards are Holden specific. We've talked a lot on this podcast about Holden being Holden. Let's start off with the dumbest Holden move. Anna, take it away. The Spacey goes to, there was a button, I pushed it, which <laughs> Can you set the context is of one of the best, yes, uh, the, well, it's one of the best lines in the entire, you know, series. It's a, a line taken from the mm-hmm. books, and it's immediately followed with Fred Johnson saying, that's how you go through life. That's just how you go through life. The context is Monica has been kidnapped. Or actually, I don't know if they know she's been kidnapped yet, but her broken handheld is is lying on a desk, and Holden kind of glance at it, and there's a you know blinking cursor, right. and he pushes mm-hmm. it. And now, fortunately, it turns into a good Holden move right. because it turns out that it's how they find Monica. Her eye camera is still connected to it, so they yeah. can figure out where she is. But in general. There was a button. I pushed it. Could not. It, there are many situations that could not end yeah. well. <laughs> and it's still holding. So, Dan, uh, what scene do you, does your space My dumbest Holden move by far goes to, you know what? It's Holden's decision not to kill Marco. Mm. I'm just going to leave it at that. And, and I will say this. This is... I, I found his explanation, and we talked about this before. It's unsatisfying. It's egotistical. But I would go further than that. What actually annoys me even the most about this decision, Anna, was that there were no repercussions in the end, which is he decides that he doesn't want to kill Marco. <laughs> and then two episodes or three episodes later, are we going to kill Marco? Oh, yeah, we're totally going to kill Marco. And I'm like, okay, what changed your mind, dude? Like, what what's going on? It, it, it wasn't... This was unsatisfying for me. I didn't like... I understood sort of Holden's rationale for why he didn't do it the first time, but suddenly why then I will is is the rest of the show. I will on. jump yeah. in to, to to do a little explaining that the show didn't do, do a lot of, mm-hmm. which is that it's Naomi that kind of steers that, yeah. as it were. Mm-hmm. And the reason he didn't want to kill Marco is again, as we discussed, is I don't want to be that guy, which is completely condescending yeah. and bad. Uh, I I agree that I think it's it's weird to not give it any yeah. time, like even a line or a right. glance, a glance, right? Exactly, a glance would yes. have done it, you know. Uh, and they just to, to just sort of have it like, oh yeah, I'm fine yeah. with it now. I guess it's okay that Amos never tells him it's okay with him because that's actually what happens in real life. You don't always get angry at someone and then eventually tell them I'm not, you're not angry anymore. Sometimes you just right. aren't angry anymore. But I would also add, I was actually legit impressed that Bobby never kicked the shit out of him for that decision because, like that, he she never addressed that. That's also, and if that's not it, then then Holden, even after this, wanting to share the ring data with Marco, <laughs> of like, see, it's dangerous. It's like, what? Who do you think you're dealing with? It was just so fucking totally naive, and it was the one time I was like, just a hundred percent with Avicerala. It was it was just it was just so bad. Yeah. Our next Pacey. Mm-hmm. It's the next Holden specific Spacey. It is the best Holden move. Dan, please add some karmic balance. I will add some karmic balance. Again, we have talked on this show about Holden being Holden, but also that actually it's useful for the show, that it always lifts it up from the sort of very jaded perspective. And really, for me, the best Holden move, 
though it doesn't end well, it's also the first one he does, which is he logs the distress call of Julie Mao's ship. And that's the thing that sets everything in motion in the pilot. And I still remember him saying at one point to, I think it was to Naomi, it just didn't sit well with me. I couldn't, I couldn't sit with it. And it, in some ways, it's the perfect sort of explanation of why Holden is the way he is, which is he's a fundamentally decent person. And that is worth admiring. And in doing the distress call, he causes some inconvenience to people, which it unfortunately does lead to far worse outcomes. But he, that's not on him. But that's why we have right. the show. Exactly. Too. Yeah. Like it's, the, it's like without him doing that, we exactly. wouldn't have the show. Yeah. So. Anna, what about you? Yeah. Well, I'm going to, it's a, it's like the exact perfect bookend mm-hmm. to your choice, which is, I'm going to say his last move on the show, <laughs> leaving the transport yes. union. And you and I talked about this a little bit. My argument for this is that he single-handedly raises the Belter status as a, you know, bargaining community, mm-hmm. right? As a nation-state equivalent to that of Earth and yeah. Mars. Like, he does it in a way that no one else could have done, you know? And he does it in a way that's actually pretty elegant, you know? Like, he did it without any Yeah, fighting. although like, the poli-sci <laughs> person in me was always, in response to that, was like, dude, just wait a year. Do it for a year, and then you can do the exact same thing, and everyone's going to feel I, better, but I understand. Yeah, yeah. I agree, sort of Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But within the context of the show, <laughs> yes. no denying that was it actually a lovely, mo- a great moment and well done. So, yeah, I think we're on yes. the same page there. Now, Dan, <laughs> uh, my next category mm-hmm. for the Spacies is best relationship to ship. <laughs> And Anna, when you first suggested this, I slightly misinterpreted what you meant. You did not slightly misinterpret it. That's actually what I love about this. You just, you straight up, you just read it in the most literal I way did. possible. Dan, who gets your best relationship We, we to have to give this award to Alex and the Rossi, <laughs> which is to say Alex really does fall in love with the Rossi. He has bad luck with all the other, you know, his romantic interests, but the ship is his, is his love. Yes, he... He has the best relationship with a ship Um, in the show. (laughs) And I will also say one of the things I did like about season six is that is that they they paid homage to Alex as a character while having to uh, artfully avoiding dealing with Cass Anvar, who had to leave the show under bad circumstances in terms of accusations lodged against him with respect to sexual harassment. So I I was glad that they honored the character um, and that was appropriate. Anna, what about you? Well... This is going to be obvious to anyone who's listened to mm-hmm. us, which is Amos and Avasarala. Like, you mean Amos and Chrissy. Chrissy. Exactly. <laughs> Amos and Chrissy. That's exactly what I mean. I mean, Amos and Chrissy. And it's something that would, it's, there's something a little unhealthy about it. I'm going to say that right up front because Amos has mom issues. Fine. They're both. <laughs> yes. The end of discussion. Yeah. They're both super yes. hot. Yes. Best relationship. I'm not going to lie. That's a fan fiction I might want to read. That, you know, yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, this is a, t- a category that, that touches on something we've talked about, I think, every single episode of our mm-hmm. show relating to The Expanse, which is the marvelous job that uh, bit actors do. I didn't want to call them bit. Uh, uh, supporting. Or you minor might, supporting yeah. characters. Not minor, not bit, not minor, but supporting right. characters. They have such outstanding actors and such well-written supporting characters. 
Our next category is very specific in a way. It, it's not something you'd find on, on any other kind of broadcast television award show, but it's something we talk about all the time, which is the way that The Expanse has incredibly, again, there are no small parts, right? <laughs> right, no. Uh, only, only small yeah. actors. So, But they have these uh, compact characters, let's mm-hmm. say that. They have people that, that come into the show for just a moment right. or two, but leave a big, big impact. We've called this the best line-to-impact ratio, Spacey. Yes. Dan, who gets it for you? I'm giving it to Jonathan Banks, a well-known actor uh, who's appeared in Breaking Bad and in Community and a variety of other uh, shows. He only appears once in The Expanse, and it's in the pilot for those who have watched it. He was the original EXO of the Canterbury, who has clearly lost his marbles, and the only coherent line he says in the entire show is all this way out in the darkness. Why couldn't we have more light? And which is a, it's, it's a great, great line. line. I pro- you know, I, 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 I suspect that might be a reference. of some It could kind. be, but it, it's, <laughs> and it's in the trailer of the, the original like season one, if you watch it, but like, again, I think that's, uh, it was just, it was a good use of cameo is the way I would put it. Anna, what about you? Mine is definitely not as strong a line to impact ratio because he pops up a few mm-hmm. times, but today, and there's also a little bit recency bias yeah. here, but I did love Phillips Bossing. Yeah. I thought he just, in so few lines, mm-hmm. just didn't just sketch a character, but we totally felt that person. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot to choose from here. And I'm sure listeners, please pop up in the Discord or comments and let us know who we forgot because I'm sure we did. Like, just really well done on on their part with these. Again, we're about to do a supporting character category, but we wanted to recognize a category that would, the people that fly by um, that make it. And I think today it was played by an actor named Joe Perry. I could be wrong about that, but because I remember we, we were impressed with his performance already and like that was. That was worth doing. My best supporting character is Julie Mao, played by Florence Favre. She appears in the first three seasons of the show. And what's interesting about her is that she's dead after the first episode. We see her in flashback, but after the first, I think, five minutes of the first of the pilot, she is no longer alive. But and it, it might seem a little weird, but I, one of the things that I liked about Julie Mao is that. She was a compelling enough character that you bought the idea that Miller, who was played by Thomas Jane, would become obsessed with her. And that was something that could have been a touch creepy, potentially. And yet I didn't think it was. I thought it was a a good noir, a good noir setup. And also when they finally do meet inside Eros, it was a nice payoff. And so I did appreciate the way that Julie Mao was sort of the original sort of who is she actually propelled the series. So props to to Florence Favor for that. Anna, what about you? Clay's Ashford. Oh, yeah. Played by David Strathern. What's really interesting about him as a character is that in the books, he is an asshole. <laughs> like, just very few redeeming characters. Oh, really? Because and, that's not how he's yeah. played in the, the series. Absolutely nope. not. Nope, nope. And, and part of that has to do with what they did with mashing up some oh, characters for the TV series. I suspect it also might have had something to do with what a fucking joy it is to watch David Strathern. He's just so good to watch, and he really sank his teeth into this Mm -hmm. character. I don't... 
I don't cry a lot at science fiction mm, shows, yeah. I'll say. I am kind of a crier. <laughs> like I'm easy I'm I'm real easy to get to feel weepy about about sad things. I cry at commercials. But science fiction tends not to be super, you know, sincere among other things, right? Well, I shouldn't say that. It, it's sincere, but we don't get modeling goodbyes to characters right. that often in this genre. But and when he dies, I I was crying. <laughs> I think like this way, the, the way to put it is that he was a good enough character so that it was a pro it the show gave him a glorious send off. Yeah. They gave him a death scene that that I, not a lot of the characters have gotten and so it was entirely right. appropriate. This is taking a little longer than we <laughs> thought because we love the show. There's a lot to talk about. But we do want to kind of clean things up a little and Dan, oh my god, the heat. The oh. heat. We're passing through the right <laughs> Not the debris field, but the dry flume. Not the debris yeah. field, but the dry flume. Saying goodbye, uh, but we don't want to leave without noting a few things. What is in the dry plume for you? I only have two things in the dry plume. The first is I really appreciated how well this show tackled questions of representation. We talked about this a little bit before with Sandrani as the sort of non-binary character this season, as well as the prominent role that women played in all of the major sort of units, as it were, in the the show. Decision-making. Decision yeah, authority structures. But the thing that I liked about it was that it was done and it was not commented on. It was not done in a showy way, in a sort of, you know, ABC afternoon special way or very special episode way. And the reason I say that is, is that because in this instance, it was appropriate to believe that 300 years into the future, this stuff would be the norm. And it would not be commented on. And so it had a very, while it, the representation was always there, it was also not talked about. And in doing so, I think actually made it more powerful. And we had talked on it before about it. there are times where, in fact, it is appropriate to be in your face about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the context of this show, it wasn't and it was true to the, the sort of material. I think the best thing about it is that it's yes. accurate, you know, in the universe that it's appropriate to the universe that they've built, because while the universe that they've built has many problems and many inequalities, mm -hmm. many, and still lots of racism and bigotry, it does posit some things having been kind of, yeah. you know, gotten yeah. better. I would point out beyond that, there's the polyamorous yes. uh, right. unit that, again, not commented on. And then also the treatment. Yes, of and that it's unionized, which is good. Um, unionized and also that Amos is a survivor right. of sexual uh, violence, but also sounds like sex work. And he's never shamed Correct. for that. He's never. It's just a thing that happened that he yeah. deals with, which is uh, it's it. And, and he also, of course, is not held up as like a model, let's say. <laughs> but I appreciate the way they talk right. about it more than anything. And else. then this is a small thing. I still love it. And I hope that that someone on Earth eventually adapts this, that takeout waffle box in season four on Mars when Bobby's boyfriend shows up with the waffles with that, that can be done takeout. Anna, if we can have takeout cocktails now, I want takeout waffles. This has to happen. <laughs> I, You know, I just think that there's some out there mm -hmm. somewhere. I, I feel like you, your dream can come true. <laughs> Thank you, yes. And I don't think it's a it's an un unachievable dream. Anna, what about you? So I have, like you, I've kind of a serious one and a not so serious one. My my serious one is that the show is not afraid to do terrible things, mm -hmm. to have terrible people do terrible things, and not so terrible people do terrible things. Uh, there is a very. Uh, <laughs> 
we just finished talking for a long time about the attack on earth but i i guess i want to underscore like it's they just do Mm -hmm. it they just do it you know and there are experiments on children there's torture and in that way going back to the idea that there's some things in this universe that have gotten better not shine away for like there's a lot of things that are just the same but also it's not done in a gratuitous way which i appreciate in other words it's, it's Right, it is. It is kind of the parallel to the representation yeah, yeah. in a way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and then my my equivalent to your waffles <laughs> <laughs> is I will never forget the country and western bar that Alex goes to on Mars <laughs> uh, as a native Texan myself. It might have been something if I walked into it in Times Square, which is where it would be. <laughs> yeah. I would maybe get upset about it, but I also see like that's the longing that expats have, right? right? Like that's the image they have of, of, of where they're from, and and he his enthusiasm <laughs> for that bar. That was funny. Yes, man, like that is also like it, it warmed yeah. my heart, and just in the same vein, the Hank Williams in in their memory mm-hmm. of him was really yeah. beautiful. So, all right, Dan. What else? Is there anything else? Should we wrap up? There's, I mean, I feel like we're going to be talking about The Expanse, you and I, obviously, offline. We'll be talking about yeah. The Expanse for a yes. while. Quite true. I just want to spare a thought or two about what The Expanse might do to television. Like, what its impact might be. I, go ahead. I think it's opened up some areas in sci-fi. Go on. I do. In hard sci-fi specifically, yeah. not like, I mean, already we had sci-fi, like, I mean, Station Eleven is like prestige television with capital P, capital yeah. T, you know? So is um, actually Foundation for that matter, although Foundation is quite silly, as we've mm-hmm. discussed. I think that this shows that you can do something that looks and feels like Star Trek, mm-hmm. but also has emotional weight to it. it does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? I think like, so. I, I, I mean, I think there were there were a couple things that the Expanse brings. Yeah. Well, in some ways, like you could say, the Battlestar Galactica did it. Maybe it just reminded us of that. Of that. But yeah, but the difference was that Battlestar Galactica did like this was Earth, or this was our solar yes. system. Like Battlestar Galactica, w- yes. w- which was a great show, but like it that was a slightly different sort of way of looking at it. This show mm-hmm. was unique, I think, in that. It managed to simultaneously project, what was it, 300 years into the future or 200 years into the future. Mm -hmm. And yet it looked like, yeah, I could see how that could go. It very, like, it beyond the Epstein drive and beyond the protomolecule and the ring entities, it didn't, almost everything that it did was entirely believable and entirely accurate. I mean, there's a reason why astrophysicists like Katie Mack love this freaking show. Yes, it is. It, it shows that you could do sci-fi in a way that didn't just have the fiction, but also had the science. And it wasn't like the science was in the front; it was mostly in the back, but it was nonetheless accurate. Yeah, and like I said, it, so you have the science and the fiction, and I and I mean the emotional yeah. range too, which hard sci-fi which doesn't, doesn't always do. Always no, this has. like this was not Tom Clancy in space. This was right. What always mattered was character. Uh, in this show but like it took all of the other stuff seriously well we talked before about what the difference is between like a good good thing versus a good bad thing this was a show that cared a lot about every aspect of it and i think that was you know it shows it shows the possibilities of good sci-fi i think also the representation Mm. stuff 
I think is gonna gonna leave a lasting impact because I was talking. I have a, a friend who's a medieval studies mm-hmm. guy, and he writes sometimes about representation in mm-hmm. fantasy, and you know, like swords and sorcerers yeah. stuff. And we all have this, and because we're white people in Anglo culture, like that's all we default to those people being mm-hmm. white. You know, anytime there's swords and sorcery, because that's our like, well, it's some kind of British history. He's always pointed out, like, doesn't have to yeah. be. Like, they could be in, they could be whatever color, you know, like, because this is fiction, right? right? There is no reason why, like, uh, Game of Thrones couldn't have been, have a lot more black people right. in it. And not in a, again, not in a way that you would make a big deal of it, because maybe in that universe, that's just right, a exactly. thing, right? Like, that's just what it is. And I think that this show yes. did that, right? This show sort of posited a, like, why don't we just cast over half the cast as people right. of color? Because... Not because we are doing that to be special or doing that because, but because number one, actually, they do kind of say that they think the future, this is the future right. humanity is going yeah. to, right? And then also because we can just posit mm-hmm. it. We can just say, like, this is what groups of people look like now, you know? And I, I think that that, unfortunately, <laughs> might be kind of a revelation to some people. You know? I mean, you need multiple so, revelations. I mean, if we were, you know, th- there have been shows in sci-fi with, that have had representation in the past, think Star Trek Deep Space Nine or things like that. Right. But it's a right. it's an iterative process, and I think this carries the process forward further is the way to put it. Yeah. All right, Dan. Like I said, we're not going to stop talking about The Expanse, but this is going to be the last Expanse episode until I finally get you to read book which seven. Which I will do. Which, which you will do. And we might do as an anniversary That's, ooh, that episode. sounds like a good so idea. that on your calendar, everybody. Our next episode is going to be Independence Day. Independence Day. This is our Independence (laughs) Day. (laughs) I remember talking to someone who was like, did you know that that's based on a Shakespeare speech? And I was like, (laughs) all right, I'm really looking forward to Independence Day. I think we might have some new listeners so i would like to repeat if you want to be a patron you can find us on patreon.com slash space the nation welcome to the show we talk about a lot of other things besides the expanse including as you have heard independence day coming up uh, poke around our archives take a look around become a patron if you want leave a comment tell your friends and neighbors rate and review etc etc until next time dan keep this channel open for more